Welcome to African Experts with Vicky Remote, the show that brings you African entrepreneurs, practitioners, researchers, and innovators with big ideas, solutions, and insights on issues shaping African lives across the continent. I am your producer, Brandon Bob McEwen. traditional ledger in a bank yeah mm. that records transactions yeah with a blockchain um, like Bitcoin's blockchain um, you could visualize it as all the participants in the network that are called mm. nodes um, having an exact copy of that ledger so uh, since there's no central authority in charge somebody has to determine when a transaction um, is is valid and that is done by consensus amongst the nodes so the nodes all agree by looking at, at mathematical rules that are programmed into the protocol and they they look at that and they propagate it to other nodes and other nodes all the other nodes um, come to the same agreement that yes this transaction is valid and we can include it um, in a in a block so that is how consensus is formed. Welcome back. Let's meet our guest, African expert, Daniel Chetel. Daniel is the director of software solutions at TY Memory Masters in Sierra Leone, where he has served in various positions developing products for clients, both in the public and private sectors. For over two decades, he has also served as a lecturer at the Institute of Public Administration and Management in Sierra Leone. He's currently the head of the Department of Information Technology. Daniel is both a practitioner and an ICT policymaker, guiding international, national, and corporate clients. As a consultant, he has planned, deployed, and implemented numerous projects for Sierra Leone's key institutions. He developed and implemented a voter registration application for the National Electoral Commission, he created an identity management reference and training manuals for the National Civil Registration Authority. He also completed the coding and implementation of the domestic tax information system and debt management information system software at the National Revenue Authority. He also developed an automated driver's licensing system for Sierra Leone's Road Transport Authority. He planned, deployed, and developed an asset tracking database for the Anti-Corruption Commission. His other clients include DFID, UNDP, UNICEF, UNESCO, and many others. In addition, Daniel has published two papers. The first, Getting Busy with IT, a role for IPAM in developing Sierra Leone's information society. Um, in the African Technology Policy Studies Sierra Leone Chapter Conference proceedings, published in November 2001. His most recent publication is Blockchain Technology Potential Applications for Development, presented at the Sierra Leone Institution of Engineers Conference Proceedings in June 2018. He's a Microsoft Certified 
technology specialist, SQL Server Business Intelligence, with certificates in data science, machine learning, and digital currency. He has a Bachelor's of Engineering with honors from the University of Sierra Leone class of 1990, and the Master's in Software Engineering with distinction from the University of Liverpool class of 1992. He's a member of the Institute of Electrical and Electronics Engineers and the Institute of Electrical and Electronic Engineers Computer Society and the Association for Community Computing Machinery, ACM. Daniel, welcome to the show. I know people are like, he's done so much, but like that is like a compressed, like I couldn't even, when I was writing the profile, I was like, this young, it's too vocal. How are you doing today? Thank you so much for being on the show. Did we write our CVs to big ourselves up? You didn't need to read the whole thing. <laughs> no, I did no, I didn't read the whole thing. I trust me, that wasn't the whole thing. If you think that's your entire CV, you're well, well mistaken. No, that was not your entire CV. That was me like, okay, Leah, just take the most important parts. Now, for those of you who don't know, I've known Danielle since the year, I think, 2005, when I was a summer intern at TY Capital Partners, which is a sister company to TY Memory Masters, which is co-founded by um, my late uncle, Alex Magona, who actually single-handedly inspired me to move back to Sierra Leone. Danielle, thank you so much for, first of all, you know, encouraging me all those years to come sit in your office while you're working to develop your solutions and you give me like small internet, small internet back in the day when Sierra Leone, like internet was like diamond, like you just couldn't find it. Um, yeah, it so you just slow. couldn't find it. So <laughs> those were, those were, some of these people, they're too young. They will not know what we have been through for internet in Sierra Leone. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> okay, so my first question to you today is, how did cryptocurrencies go from fringe, when I mean fringe, like something that all of us think of as like a part of like the dark web, um, to, to the stock market? And Bitcoin, a global fintech phenomenon. Today, one Bitcoin is valued at $59,000. Like, how did we get here? What happened? Well, um, Bitcoin was developed, um, it wasn't developed in a vacuum. It, it was developed as a response to, to um, the global financial crash um, of 2007, 2008. In fact, mm -hmm. in, the, in, in the first block that was mined of Bitcoin, um, the creator put uh, uh, the headline of, of, uh, of a British newspaper and chancellor on brink of, of second bailout. Uh, so it, it, it grew from something that was in, you know, restricted to a small group of, crypto, uh, of crypto, cryptography enthusiasts to become something that has uh, become an international payment network, a protocol, and uh, a decentralized system of trend of communicating value uh, to be able to understand cryptocurrencies uh, and how and why they are important uh, you, you you also have to understand how the traditional uh, money system works which is something we're not really taught uh, the tr traditional architecture of money is is uh, is centralized and it's based on debt um, for example when you if you want to if you want to transfer money uh, somewhere, you have to have it in a bank, 
the bank controls um, who you can send it to. You need to have identity. Um, if you have a cousin that's living in Iran and you want to send it there, you wouldn't be able to send it there. Uh -huh. um, and when you actually deposit your money in a bank, what you're doing is, give, is, is loaning the money to the bank. You're actually relinqu relinquishing some control. So um, cryptocurrency, Bitcoin changed that. Um, it's completely decentralized. That means there's no central authority that is responsible or, or, or that can control it. Um, and there is no need to trust uh, a third party. So I can send you money directly without having to show identity, without um, even knowing who you are, mm -hmm. uh, without knowing where you are geographically located. Um, and the network doesn't, doesn't need to know, it doesn't care what the amount is, who you're sending it to, who they are, mm -hmm. where they're located. Um, so uh, it, it, it creates, it's created a, a, a payment network that um, allows decentralized trust. In other words, we don't, have, we don't need to trust any third party. Our, we, 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 we tr we, the, the trust is now placed in the network. Okay. Um, so, one of the main uh, reasons why it has caught on and, and why it's become such a, a, a big phenomenon is the fact that um, it, it replaces the, the need for centralized control um, and it gives the freedom to innovate because it is open, it is permissionless, and it is borderless. Open means that um, anybody can participate. Uh, the, the, the source code for the, the system is completely open source. Anybody can contribute to it. Mm -hmm. um, it's permissionless, meaning that you don't need permission to, to innovate on the system. Um, as I said before, it is a protocol, so you can build on top of it. Um, you can innovate. And it is, you know, it's also decentralized. So, um, for example, if you if you wanted to um, if you wanted to send uh, money to to um, to somebody in a different in a different country in in Inner Mongolia or, or Bahrain, um, mm -hmm. you could send them without having to go to a bank without without um, having to trust any centralized third party. So that freedom to transfer value, to communicate value, and to innovate, mm -hmm. to build new financial products on top of a, a, a decentralized protocol is what has made the value. Um, people recognize the value in the system and has, okay. um, has made it um, become so popular. Right. So, but what you're saying is the initial kind of driver um, was the global financial crash, right? Um, that yeah. you know, basically Wall Street, people were like, we can't trust these people. Um, they have too much power. And um, instead of trusting people and institutions, people prefer to trust a network of people. Like, I'd rather have 
so many people across the world on the blockchain um, checking and verifying my transactions, then leaving it to Bernie Madoff <laughs> or some Bernie Madoff character um, on Wall Street, you know, handling my money or needing to, you know, provide ID, stand in line, write a letter, approve, etc. Like go through all these processes to move my own money. So it's not right, like exactly. people are taking it's like this is my money. If I want to, you know, move it anywhere, I shouldn't have to go through some kind of process and pay some exorbitant fee also, because sometimes that's the other case, right? I should just have the freedom. So yes, it, 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 okay. it should not take three to five business days. Right, right, right. That that there's also that. Okay. Uh, so in your paper um, on blockchain, it shouldn't, it shouldn't, there's no need to like right. go to the. Bank. I don't. I shouldn't have to leave my. I shouldn't have to leave where I am to go set my money. Okay. So in your in your paper, blockchain technology yeah. potential applications for development. Um, one of the use cases that you presented for cryptocurrencies was just the remittances, right? Allowing people to yeah. send money either from the diaspora back home or even like you know maybe within a country transferring money from one place um, in the center to somewhere remote um, why does cryptocurrencies how does cryptocurrency make it cheaper um, to send because I know that like globally the average cost of sending money is between seven and ten percent so if you go to a bank you go to like a Western Union or post office you're gonna pay between seven percent to ten percent of the total amount of the money that you want to send in order for that organization or that institution to send your money where it needs to go. Now, the UN says that they need that to get down to 3% because, you know, for, for migrant workers, especially who are working across the world and sending money, um, these fees actually eat out of what they would be sending, right? So why does crypto beat yeah. banks or traditional money transfer services in costs and also reach? Because I remember one of the other things you mentioned was just that you can't like last mile money transfer solution. Um, you don't need to have a, uh, I guess, a Western Union or a post office near you. Why is it cheaper, potentially cheaper um, for us to send remittances uh, using cryptocurrencies? Well, um, it's mainly down to centralization of the traditional money system. Um, when you try to send money, or, or even if you use a service like Western Union, the bureaucracy involved, the um, the paperwork that has to be filed and all that sort of stuff. Let's say you you send money using SWIFT. Um, money is already digital, so it right. shouldn't take three to five business days. But there are several hops in between. You have something that is called a correspondent bank, for example. I've never known what that is or why it's needed. Um, so um, crypto, it's a worldwide decentralized network. And the only reason why there are fees are because of the game theoretical consensus that needs to be um, on the network for the network to uh, maintain its decentralization. Okay, for so those the people fees who don't are understand... There 
For those people who don't understand how blockchain works, could you please explain to them um, what the consensus is, like in terms of transactions, like the checking and the verifying and how that, just like a quick, not so the, the technologist version explanation of the ambiguous, no, don't tell us about the ledger and all of these and the okay. chain connected to the other chain and all the chains. No, okay. okay. We might have to use the word um, and ledger, but because if you think of a traditional ledger in a bank, yeah, mm -hmm. that records transactions. Yeah, with a blockchain um, like Bitcoin's blockchain, um, you could visualize it as all the participants in the network that are called mm -hmm. nodes um, having an exact copy of that ledger. So. Uh, since there's no central authority in charge, somebody has to determine when a transaction um, is, is valid. And that is done by consensus amongst the nodes. So the nodes all agree by looking at, at mathematical rules that are programmed into the protocol. And they look at that and they propagate it to other nodes and other nodes, all the other nodes um, come to the same agreement that yes, this transaction is valid and we can include it um, in, a, in a block. So that is how consensus is formed. It uses game theory because all the participants are incentivized to act correctly, uh, to act um, in their own interests. And if they try to break any of the rules, they are punished. So um, going back to... Um, to why remittances are, why, why money transfer is cheaper over a, a, a blockchain. Um, it's, they're instantaneous or near instantaneous and can be, uh, can, can, can cost next to nothing because uh, the protocol allows you to build certain layers on top of it that allow these network fees to be reduced. There are some blockchains that, you know, provide this without having to have a second layer on top of them. But there, there are, um, and Bitcoin uses uh, a network called the Lightning Network, which allows instant and near zero uh, transaction fees. And it is possible to send money instantaneously to somebody anywhere in the world that also has a Lightning wallet um, for very, very low fees. And that is done by um, the use of channels. So instead of sending the normal transaction fee over the network, you open a channel and the, uh, perform some transactions. And then afterwards, you can close the channel before the transaction gets settled on the Bitcoin uh, network layer. So it can also act as a settlement layer and which is why some people uh, uh, think that it can it can actually replace uh, uh, um, the global currency reserve system because it can, it's 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 programmed well enough and it's secure enough to act as a settlement layer for transactions. The only problem with remittance uh, fees, with the cost of remittances at the moment, is the onboarding and off off uh, offboarding fees. So. Um, you need, for example, after you've sent crypto to somebody that lives in Australia, they will need um, somewhere, if they want to, to cash out in the local currency, they will need to do that too. And that is, the, I think, where 
the costs can increase for somebody who wants to have some kind of remittance service. But otherwise, okay. the transactions are instantaneous and for very, very low fees. Hi, this is Franklin Bob McEwen from the African Experts Podcast. I just want to let you know that you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and on YouTube. And also, this show was originally broadcasted as a live stream. You can watch all previous episodes of the African Experts show on africanexpert.net. And now, let's head back to the show. Okay. All right. So, um, there are over, I mean, I was looking this up, and there are over like 6,000 different cryptocurrencies currently in existence. And oh, 9,000 now. Oh, it, oh <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Sam. <laughs> 9,000, 9,000, imagine, I don't, my data is, my data, I must have been looking at the wrong data, oh, data flawed, um, okay, 9,000 different cryptocurrencies currently in existence, and I'm sure in another year, given the boom, this is even just, it's going to continue to grow. If a third of all current consumers, right, people who say they've used uh, cryptocurrencies are in Nigeria, um, are they using their own cryptocurrencies or that they're creating, as in, you know, Nigerian fintech companies are creating their own currency, um, or are they using Bitcoin and like Ethereum or Litecoin? Um, and the reason why I ask is that oftentimes, whether it's like finished goods or technology, right, you find that countries in the global south, African countries, we're more on the consumer end of things, which it doesn't mean that you can't benefit, but we know that like those who create, right, and produce and have ownership, you know, they can become billionaires, right? Versus yeah. those who like have crypto, okay, you have a couple thousand here and there and you become a millionaire. Like there's, there's still like a, a divide. And I guess I wanted to understand if this decentralized, um, this decentralized network, the blockchain, is so decentralized that pa like the power systems that usually exist between the more developed countries or cryptos maybe that are that are from other countries and maybe cryptos made in Africa, like is there a difference or is it just a question of how long a cryptocurrency has been in the market? Like on are all cryptocurrencies made equal and are all consumers equally positioned to benefit? Like is there a global crypto divide? I guess is, is what I'm trying to get um. at. Not really. Um, the, that, another property of crypto is that it is completely neutral. Um, it doesn't care who you are, where you are from. It doesn't care the, the, uh, the size of your transaction. Everything is treated equally. When you create a cryptocurrency, if you have a node on the network, every node, if you have several nodes in Africa, all of those nodes are of equal importance to the network as other nodes anywhere else in the world. Mm. Um, so the only divide, you might say, is perhaps in terms of mining. That is, uh, mining determines um, how blocks are created mm -hmm. um, and who is responsible for issuing them. So uh, at the moment, with Bitcoin, a lot of the mining, um, at least half, is located in China. There's a lot also in, in the United States. But this is because uh, mining uh, takes up a lot of electricity. Right. There are other cryptocurrencies that don't use uh, the consensus method of Bitcoin and so don't need to use up a lot of electricity. There's one called Nano, for example. Um, 
uh, Cardano, uh, they, they use a system, an EOS, they use a system called proof of stake. So the, um, block creators, the people who are the nodes that, uh, that create those blocks um, are based on uh, nodes that stake some amount of the native currency of the network. So um, the good thing about the openness and neutrality of this protocol is that anybody can copy the code and create their own, their own cryptocurrency. And you just let market forces determine how successful um, um, it will be, or in some case, cases marketing, or in some cases have some celebrity behind it, like like um, Snoop Dogg or or, or Elon Musk. <laughs> like the, the Elon um, Musk Dogecoin. Did you see Twitter yesterday? It, like, well, early it was late this morning because uh, Elon Musk was on uh, Saturday Night Live, and you know yeah. people were like, you know, like watching. <laughs> Like, I think he yeah. mentioned that he was giving Dogecoin to his mother or something, and like Twitter lit yeah. up like, oh, oh, it's about to go up in value, and then there. Yeah. <laughs> and I just think well, it's like so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So the the um we'll we'll come back to to, to that bit. Let me let me just talk about what's going on in Nigeria. Um, Nigeria uses Bitcoin a lot. Nigerians use Bitcoin a lot for payment and for remittances. In fact, there I think uh, you said it already at the start of the show that yeah. Nigeria. Um, is the, the African country with the most um, Bitcoin transactions um, at the moment. A lot of people use it to trade. And um, that's something that you're, you know, you're not going to be able to, 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 uh, to prevent. Once something has value, people are going to speculate on the value. They're going to trade it, especially when there are exchanges to trade. But they also use it for, um, for remittances. They use it to pay. Um, people outside of Nigeria, um, they use it as a hedge against inflation, um, mm -hmm. the devaluation or the devaluing of the, of the Naira. And mm -hmm. so um, they're using it for lots and lots of other stuff. Ob obviously, there are some other coins that they might have created. I know there's a, there's a young Nigerian who's created a decentralized social network called Swerge, mm -hmm. and it, um, it has its own native currency. He's trying to promote it. Um, as well, I think he's 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 also uh, developing a, a decentralized finance platform on the Binance Smart Chain. So there's a lot of of uh, of things that you can do to participate in the cryptocurrency space, um, innovate and 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 generate value for yourself. Mm -hmm. Sure. Okay. Yeah. So um, <clears throat> I'm glad you talked about um, this this brought us back to Nigeria. Now, most African okay. countries don't have, don't yet have a policy to regulate cryptocurrencies. Um, so South Africa, Kenya, Nigeria are the leaders. But what are you, how are central banks, uh, those central banks that do have policy, so in these markets, um, how are they impacting the growth of crypto? Um, well, regulation, I, I am, I've never been uh, a fan of regulation. Uh, regulation, to me is mostly strangulation it's it um it, it throttles and it's it's it, it uh it stifles innovation and creativity uh for example the the when the central bank of nigeria uh issued some note that 
it was banning uh, retail banks, commercial banks from uh, holding accounts of uh, entities that trade in cryptocurrency. You know, you had some uh, exchanges and some apps that uh, worked with, with commercial banks that allowed you to deposit from a bank. They right. could no longer do that. But they always found a workaround. Um, right. Actually, let me, the, let me read for people who are um, for people who are listening. Let me just read to you what the Central Bank of Nigeria's position is. Right. So the Central Bank of Nigeria, yeah. this is what they say about. First of all, cryptocurrencies are, according to Central Bank of Nigeria, a direct contravention of existing law. That because they believe that only the central bank should be issuing cryptocurrencies. The CBN of Nigeria says that the very name of crypto and nature of cryptocurrencies, quote, suggests that users value anonymity, obscurity, and concealment because they want to engage in illegal activities. And um, it was earlier this year. So this was a position they took, I believe, since 2007. Um, and then earlier this year, they ordered banks to shut down the accounts of all cryptocurrency companies, which, mean that, which meant that people then who were using their let's say you have a, an account in a bank and you were using that to finance your crypto accounts or to trade in crypto, like to basically buy, they had to shut them down. Are the, do, would you say that the ways that people are using cryptocurrencies any more dubious than the way that they're using hard cash? And then also, since nobody knows where these transactions are coming from, where they're coming, how can they even make these, make or prove these assertions? Like how, <laughs> like how do they know that it's fine? If, if, if it's anonymous, you don't know who is sending or where it's going, how do they even know? Is it just like fear because they're losing power and control? Is that what it is? It's just like fear? Well, it, absolutely. It is, it's, they're, they're, losing, they're losing control. Like I said, because it's the, the, the architecture is centralized, they, they want to be in control of of money, money is a system of control. We we we, we saw um, uh, we saw a, a little bit of that when the, e even the the um, the uh, the I, is it the IMF head uh, uh, Christine Lagarde talked about um, wanting or or maybe the, the 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 governor of the Bank of International Settlement saying they want to be able to make sure they can track everybody's um, financial activity. You know, they know that they can't do that with crypto. Now, crypto is not completely anonymous. It is pseudonymous because you have um, everything is on the ledger. Right. Um, it's transparent. Uh, transactions are not encrypted. So you can tell uh, if especially those who use uh, KYC exchanges, um, it is possible for certain companies who specialize in that like chain chainalysis to to track and you know eventually find out who made a transfer where mm -hmm. um but um honestly nobody uh, the biggest uh, um, the biggest uh, money launderers and people who use uh, uh, money for illegal purposes are the banks themselves i mean that is just a fact um Look at the the, the the fines HSBC, JP Morgan, Wells Fargo, and all of those banks had to pay. They're the ones doing money laundering. They're the ones um, using it for illicit purposes. I mean, technology, yeah. any new technology 
is going to attract um, um, bad actors, people who want to use it for illicit purposes. In fact, they are normally the early adopters. We saw that with the internet when um, pornography became one of the, one of the quickest uh, um, uh, things, uh, uh, websites that, that, that went online. Um, so, you know, that's, that's going to happen, but it's... Right, like, because uh, human, beings, human, beings are gonna, human beings are going to human, right? Human beings are going to do exactly. what they do. Whether it's hard cash currency, whether it's virtual currency, those people who want to engage in legal activities, they're going to find a way. Right. And so what the regulators perhaps should focus on is how can you make the conditions safer, right, for the people who are participating in this um, and not necessarily push people? Because I feel like whenever there's like this stamp down on tighter regulation, it's actually more dangerous, right, because you're forcing people to then now go and hide or find some other way to deliver the solution or do what they're going to do anyways, um, putting Precisely. themselves or other people at risk. Um, before we continue yeah. the rest of the conversation, um, hold that thought, Che. Uh, che. Uh, we're gonna take a quick break and we will be right back. You're listening to African Experts with Vicky Remo. We'll be right back after this music break. <laughs> But it makes you my sin worldwide. Oh, I pray for me. Mama, pray for me. I'm in the jungle. I want to make money. Oh, I pray for me. Papa, pray for me. Oh, no, I guide my footsteps in this journey. Oh, I pray for me. Pray, pray, pray. Innocent Kuti with a song, Pray For Me. Innocent is a Sarilinian singer, songwriter, and producer. His song, Pray For Me, was released in 2019. And now, let's head back to African Experts with Vicky Remo. 
the show. If you're just joining us, you're watching African Experts, and I'm Vicky Rameau. With me on the show today is, <laughs> is IT expert Danielle Cheta, and we're talking about cryptocurrencies on the continent, issues of scaling and opportunities. Um, before we went to break, we were talking about regulation um, and how the central bank regulations are trying to stifle or are stifling um, the growth and use of crypto. Specifically, we're talking about Nigeria, where the CBN um, this year basically reiterated its position. People were calling it a ban, but they said, oh, no, we didn't ban it. We're just saying what we had already said, which was that nobody should be issuing cryptocurrency or any currency other than the central bank. Um, but all that did was cause those who were who are crypto traders who create cryptocurrency in Nigeria to find an alternative solution because that's the thing with innovation, right? Like if you put a problem in front of innovators, if you put a, like they're going to find a way and a solution. The fact that crypto itself was created as a solution to problems in financial industry and financial sector should let everybody know that like you cannot get in its way. Right. Other than like going yeah. around and arresting yeah. people, other than going around and I guess physically arresting people. Right. Yeah. You cannot actually get in the way because pe when you when you say, OK, you can't make these kind of transactions or you can't work with essential with commercial banks, et cetera, et cetera. The creators and the innovators, they go back into the code and they say, OK, how can we change it so that it works on a completely different system? Right. And so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, um, the, the 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 number of transactions, the Bitcoin activity actually increased. Crypto activity act actually increased after the ban. I mean, one of the main uh, crypto companies in in Nigeria called Bycoins Africa, uh, that which allows uh, people to deposit money from their Ni uh, Nigerian bank accounts into the app and then use that to trade, to purchase and trade crypto cryptocurrencies. Um, when they shut that down, they just started pairing um, buyer-sellers together. And people were still able to use their app to buy and trade cryptocurrencies. You know, so, you know, they just found a peer-to-peer -peer, um, relationship within the app. And that was, and that was how they solved that problem. Yeah, um, I don't know who so said governments it, really. You can't stop the signing. I don't know who said it. Yeah, Somebody yeah, said it, but you can't stop the you shining. Can't, <laughs> you can't stop reality from being real. Um, Flavor right. Flav said that one. <laughs> so, so governments need to, <laughs> governments need to establish how and under what conditions they'll allow and encourage cryptocurrencies to evolve and to make innovation involving them thrive. They have to let innovators innovate. Um, they have to understand the ways in which they can support long-standing economic and development goals. Um, right. you know, financial inclusion, um, in decreasing the cost of remittances, that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, no, you're, you're, I think, um, and definitely, you know, technology and innovation, it's not just in Africa that regulators struggle with new technology, right? Like, how do you deal yeah. with it? Because regulators oftentimes see their powers as to limit, right? And not necessarily yeah. to create the conditions for these innovations to grow. And they're usually behind, yeah. right? By the time they realize that um, this is a viable industry, this is something that's going to solve problems, this is, this is a viable solution for something that's already existing, 
it's already too late, right? And then they have to pay catch up and then try to like create opportunities for those and, and uh, for those for those organizations and businesses to to thrive. So or the sector as a whole. Um, you mentioned like additional use cases um, in your paper, um, just in general with regards to blockchain. And I wonder in a place like Sierra Leone or in a place like uh, like Ghana or Nigeria, where um, you started talking about it earlier about where our local currency are so volatile to um, to inflation, right? Like, and just like the depreciation also of the currency. You know, you wake up one year, the money is valued this month, two days later, it's valued something else. Would you encourage yeah. people who are watching today, and this is not like investment advice or anything, because I know we are not an investment expert. It's not what we're doing. But in your opinion, like as a an advocate for Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies, do you think that saving um, in crypto is advisable? Like, is it for those of us who live in these economies where our money, you know, what they said, Idi Amin and whatever in that movie? Um... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um like you like you were saying at the start, a lot of people use cryptocurrency for speculation and they use it to trade and uh, make a quick uh, make a killing on, on the on the fluctuations and the values of the cryptocurrencies. Well, I see specifically Bitcoin as um, not a get-rich uh, quick scheme, but as a savings scheme. Because it's, first of all, it is, it is programmed to be deflationary. It has a decreasing rate of inflation. And so it is virtually programmed not to go down in value. Now, there might be... Um, there are always like um, peaks and troughs and there are bull markets and bear markets and things like that. But if you look at the, the rise of Bitcoin from um, 2010, say 11 years ago, you know, to now, it has, its value has increased at an average annual rate of 200%. Um, it's, it's hard to argue. It's astounding. It's like in your brain, like, for me, at least, it's like it's something my brain struggles. Like I'm trying to understand. <laughs> like, this, exactly. This is too fun. <laughs> so if your if your if your native currency, if your local currency, is is um, is decreasing, um, let's say you have an inflation rate of I think uh, the Leon. Let's say the Leon, for example, where the inflation rate is at least eighteen percent. Um. And let's say you 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 save in a in a in a commercial bank, which commercial mm -hmm. bank is going to give you a savings interest rate of eighteen percent? So virtually your money you're you're not saving money you're actually losing money. The value of your savings is slowly right. decreasing. So but if, if you were to put it in, even if they uh, didn't in give you eighteen percent, right? Even if they gave me eighteen percent. If I'm losing 18% every year, that means I'm back at zero. You're not. <laughs> precisely, precisely. So, so Bitcoin is, is, is can be looked at as a savings mechanism. Uh, um, 
but um, you have to look at it uh, long term because there, as I said, there will be bear markets. There have been periods when the value has decreased, you know, by as much as 50, um, 60 percent. But in the long term, its value has increased, as I said, annually at an average rate of 200 percent. And investors are seeing that, which is why you're seeing, um, especially in the United States, but also in Europe um, and in Asia, large companies putting yeah. Bitcoin on their balance sheets. Yeah. Um, even um, Elon Musk put um, some on Tesla's balance sheet. Um, this show was probably sponsored by Adama Loves Akara. What you were talking about was how um, when you save money in a traditional bank and a commercial bank, and if, if we were using Leon as an example, that if the Leon is depreciating, yeah. you know, inflation is like 18%, um, and you're in a bank, you're never going to get the kind of returns that saving in crypto um, would give you. And yes, that the crypto market is volatile in the sense that, like, it's not stable, right? Just because it's valued at this doesn't mean it's going to continue to fit, uh, stay that way. You can, you can lose all your money. Yeah, it's not a get rich quick scheme, right? It's not a quick like yeah, it's not a lottery. Like you play yeah. um you play the lottery, you get a number and then you collect your money. It's like, okay, this is a long-term investment. This is not money I need for my life as in, you yeah. know, if a large corporation goes and takes 1% of their billion dollar profits and puts it in crypto, mm -hmm. it's just a small percentage yeah. of their portfolio. Exactly. Use it, right? Yeah. Um, so I totally understand. And of course, my last and final question before we take um, questions for the from the audience is: yeah. um, How can people like people do invest in crypto, right? How how does the investment happen? Is it just that you buy Bitcoin, you buy um, Litecoin or Dogecoin, whatever it is you're buying, and then you hold on to it and watch it grow and change over time? How do people um, win or lose on Bitcoin or invest in Bitcoin? Okay, there are there, there are a few ways to it. I mean, the if you're looking long term, which you know. Uh, and this is not a, a financial advice, by the way. I'm I'm a technologist. I, yes, I yeah. never studied finance or economics in my life. Um, <laughs> so I um, you can you can purchase Bitcoin maybe okay, on, on, on an exchange. Sorry, but you do, but you do invest in Bitcoin. Like you own Bitcoin. You have Bitcoin. I. Well, I used to, but I lost all in a boating accident off uh, Bonds Island um, a few years ago. <laughs> off Bond. I might. I heard of that accident at Bond where so, all the Bitcoin fell off the boat. Exactly, everybody lost yeah. everything. <laughs> so I'm just trying to start again now. Like, don't look at me. I don't know nothing. Don't come yeah, and find no, me tomorrow. It, 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 say, it, it, it oh, was God. a sad affair, but <laughs> I laugh at it now because, uh, you know, that's life. Please um, don't have people <laughs> think that, like, you can lose Bitcoin. <laughs> I'm like, you're big, people actually think that Bitcoin is coin, and like, you go, you, you coin, so we come on at the boats. <laughs> Anyways, please, how can people invest in Bitcoin right. for the long term? Okay, so um, normally you have to you, you, you buy a wallet, and the, the the most important thing is to make sure that 
even if you buy it on an exchange or if you buy it using Cash App or, or some of these other um, mobile apps, you store it in a wallet that allows you to be in control of your keys. The keys are, well, when we say keys, we're talking about the private keys. The private keys are what um, determine your ownership of the Bitcoin, of the cryptocurrency. So um, if you leave it on an exchange, you are basically doing the same thing as putting your money in a bank. You're trusting another, a third party. So as we normally say, um, not your keys, not your coins. Or as, um, as Isaiah Jackson says, no keys, no cheese. So make sure you keep, um, you transfer it off an exchange onto a wallet that, where you are, have control of the, the private keys. Now, you can trade it if you want. Um, if you think that you have the skills, but you really need to know what you are doing. Um, some people uh, trade based, just like how you can trade stocks. You can, you know, purchase, you can go long, you can go short and make money based on fluctuations in the, in the price of the currency. Um, mm -hmm. But you, the best uh, advice that I have seen um, people give is to buy it and hold it for the long term. And the best way to buy and hold for the long term that I normally see um, people uh, uh, advising is to do something called dollar cost average. So that is um, every uh, month or every week or every two months or whatever, some period that you define, you purchase a specific amount of Bitcoin or of the mm -hmm. currency that you're choosing to hold for the long term and keep it. Mm -hmm. And so no matter what the fluctuations in price, you're always getting some amount that you keep. And sometimes you will get the low prices, sometimes you will get the high prices. But over the long term, you will accumulate enough that you know might be uh, sufficient for you and might be satisfactory for you. So a lot of people can trade other this, as, you, as, as, we, as we noticed, as we, as we mentioned before, there are over 9,000 currencies. You can choose some that have wild fluctuations in, current, uh, in, in price. And if you know what you are doing, you can trade them on an exchange and you can make money based on the, on the, um, the fluctuations in price. I don't really know how to do that because that, that really requires you having to sit down and stare at charts all day and I don't have time for that. So some people do and some people have learned how to do it. If you do know what you're doing, you can do that and you can make money. Some people have made a lot of money on Dogecoin, for example, um, and other coins that went from you know less than a, a cent or one cent to to one dollar and that sort of stuff. Okay, um, so now we're going to take audi uh, questions from our audience. Um, let's see, do we have any questions today? Sure. Um, our first question asks from Beatrice Chaitel, who I believe you may know. I don't know if you know her. Um, is it possible, to, anyway, in terms of regulation, won't some kind of smart regulation help to make cryptocurrency more available and interoperable across the continent? Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, and um, I'm sure, I, I believe you had her on the show uh, some weeks back, a couple of weeks ago, when she was talking about ACFA. Yes, yeah. yes. Um, 
uh, cryptocurrency is borderless. Um, and so what that regulation would, would do would, you know, try to make sure that it doesn't impose restrictions mm. on um, people wanting to, you know, transfer and trade in that currency. Um, uh, many countries, you know, ha are pretty neutral in terms of regulation, haven't actually said anything or, or put out any policy. And so it's, it's, already, po it's already possible to do that. But um, uh, a, a, a regulation or a policy statement or, or some law or whatever that you, uh, you could put in, in place could remove any hesitancy or any, any um, hesitation, any uh, um, unwillingness of some innovators or, or entrepreneurs to try to build systems on top of digital currencies that allow easy transfer of, of money um, across borders and easy payment for goods and services, you know, right. without having to go through the traditional banking system. You know, the problem, right. of course, is traditional banks um, and central banks want to control that flow of information. But if you if you make sure that um, the regulation um, uh, allows this uh, sort of thing and perhaps puts in place uh, ways to make sure people pay the sort of tax that they are supposed to pay, then sure, especially if they do it with um, proper reporting to, to, to banks. Sure. Um, can we take another question? Um, this question is from Ajilu Jalo, and um, it's how can one cash out on crypto in Sierra Leone at the moment? Is that possible? Um, I personally, I, I don't know, but I do know that there are some decentralized exchanges where you can go and check for um, uh, people who have offers of cashing out. So okay. like local Bitcoins, Paxful, and there's another one called Hodl Hodl. Um, at the moment, I don't know of any particular exchange or or app that allows you to cash out in crypto uh, in okay. Leon's. Okay. Yeah. okay. There's no, okay. You have gotcha. to, you, yeah, you basically have to find another person um, or, you know, perhaps join some community. I'm not on Facebook, but you might check on Facebook and see if there's a community of users um, that you can interact with and perhaps find out if you can do a peer to peer exchange. Okay. Um, now we'll take a question from Hamza Barry. So Hamza's comment is, you've seen Acon talking about a coin. Do you think uh, crypto could eliminate the need for single currency around West Africa? Um, could his coin be a game changer? You know, like uh, ECOWAS was supposed to launch the ECHO, and um, yeah. I guess you can crypto or a coin um, be the game changer in terms of like a one, our one monetary unit for the subregion. Yeah, I, I don't think it would eliminate the need for single currency. Um, in fact, I think it is more likely that um, central banks will issue a central bank digital currency um, for use. It is more likely that a single central bank digital currency will be issued for use around West Africa than allowing cryptocurrency, unless that's what you were talking about. His own coin is specifically for his city. He's creating right. a city in Senegal, um, right. which is supposed to be some sort of futuristic Wakanda-like city. 
that will yes. use has not begun though there's been no construction, construction has not begun yeah. but it's no. the idea the idea of of having uh, um some small place city or, or locality that uses only crypto is not new there are many people thinking about it and you know perhaps thinking of buying some island in the caribbean i think there's an island in the caribbean that some people are thinking they can um they can buy to have some a crypto only um, Bitcoin only uh, purchasing and that sort of stuff. Okay, with that, sadly, sadly, we've come to the end of today's show. I already started seeing people commenting and having conversation about crypto investments. So we're going to log off <laughs> before we get accused of giving anybody um, investment advice because that's what we're trying to do here today. We're really we're just making a case for cryptocurrencies on the continent in general, general use, and trying to paint a picture of where we are now. Today's quote of the day come from former Google executive Eric Schmidt. He said that Bitcoin is a remarkable cryptographic achievement. The ability to create something which is not duplicable in the digital world has enormous value. Lots of people will build businesses on top of that. And they Until next week, una tata and tanky from all of us here at African Expert. Bye.